Hey guys, welcome to the View from the Front podcast. You know what? You probably should insert some really hip, really cool music here because we don't have any really hip, really cool music on this podcast. But what we do have is news you're not going to easily find anywhere else. I promise you. My name is Stan R. Mitchell, and I'm a prior Marine and a guy who spent more than 10 years in the news business. And as a guy who's been deployed overseas, and as a guy who worries a lot about our current media situation, as well as the state of our country, I decided I could no longer remain silent while our country forgets the sacrifices of our military, while our media fans the flames of fear, and while our country grows further and further apart. I care a lot about our military, where they're at, where they might be going, what conflicts might be on the horizon. And I also know that we need to have a calm and solid media voice who doesn't work to divide and who doesn't use scare tactics or extreme, minute examples to work up their audience. Finally, I know we must unite this country because a house divided cannot stand. So if you're tired of domestic news that just upsets you every time you watch it, maybe it's time we look at the bigger picture, which might just affect both our country and our military. There are several reasons I focus on foreign policy each week. First, it's because I've been on the sharp end of the spear. I've been the young, deployed Marine who's sleeping in the mud and half scared out of his mind. I know that decisions made in Washington, D.C. lead to good men and women dying or being damaged for life. I also believe in the mission of this, of trying to highlight what our military troops are doing around the world while also trying to better educate Americans about looming hotspots. We want to avoid those places we should avoid. We also want to avoid unplanned mission creep, such as we did in Afghanistan or in Vietnam. These decisions mattered when they were made, and the decisions being made now matter as well. Foreign policy decisions can be tragic and heartbreaking, and it's important that we get them right. When we get them wrong, such as we did during the Vietnam War, our very country can be ripped apart by division and chaos. It's also crucial that when we get them wrong, as we did in Vietnam, then the faster we can course correct, the faster we can reduce how many lives we lose. America is the world's leading power, and we mostly lead the world from a position of moral authority, showing other countries how they should behave in regard to ethics, restraint, and providing freedom for their citizens. We are a force of good for the world, although I will acknowledge that we are not perfect. I don't claim to have all the answers, but I know that our democracy doesn't work without informed voters. And I also know we need to grow closer together and show more patience and kindness to each other. It's only by pulling our country closer together that we can pass on a better future for our kids. I feel strongly that we need to hold and cherish the beliefs that got us here today. Beliefs such as patience, kindness, and a strong belief that our best days lie before us. These are the beliefs that got us to this point. And they're also the kind of optimistic beliefs that will get us to a brighter future. Once a week, I'll discuss military matters while also adding in a little motivation, wisdom, and history. Besides covering this news and also trying to build you up and encourage you each and every week, I also work as hard as I can to unite this country. Without question, 
I feel like our wide division and animosity toward those with whom we disagree is the greatest threat our country faces. So once a week, I do my best to bridge this great divide while also reminding each of us that most of us are being played by divisive politicians and broadcast hosts who are ripping apart this great country just so they can climb higher. Most Americans are good, and we need to remember this, always. And with that out of the way, let's get started. Oh, and if you want to, you can insert some more really hip, really cool music in your head, because apparently that's the only way you can have a successful podcast these days. This is the December 29th edition of The View from the Front, and we're really glad to have you here. I hope you all had a great Christmas and that you're looking forward to New Year's. I also hope that you're thinking about some goals that you might have, whether they're fitness-related, relationship-related, or maybe dream-related. I really hope you can make some progress on whatever goal you're working to, you know, wanting to work towards. So, hope you're thinking about those. It's coming up quickly, and I know people knock goals down, but it's better to have a goal than to not have one. That's how I look at it. So we've got a lot to discuss in this issue. Uh, in this episode, we'll be discussing quite a few topics, and I'm pretty sure these are going to interest you, and I almost guarantee you haven't seen them in the news. Um, this includes uh, what a prominent retired general says Ukraine needs, and whether he thinks Belarus will invade Ukraine alongside Russian forces. We'll cover news that Russia is now ready to resume sending natural gas to Europe. We'll talk about uh, a report that the Pentagon is saying Russia could run out of reliable rockets and artillery shells early next year. We'll discuss how Russian troops are fighting and being slaughtered on the eastern front in the Donbass region, diving into their tactics just a little bit. We'll talk about the possibility that American troops might train Ukrainian troops for the first time on American soil and what type of weapon system they might be trained on. We'll also cover an accidental and ingenious manner that might have been discovered in Ukraine to stop slow-moving but deadly loitering munitions. We'll also talk about Taiwan and how they've decided to extend their mandatory military service because of the Chinese threat. We'll cover for how long and the details on that briefly. We'll also talk about South Korea and its new defense strategy. We'll briefly discuss how they, they are treading a very fine line with the threat from China and how America reacted to this new strategy of theirs. And then in tech news, we'll cover the announcement that the Navy is looking to purchase a drone that can fly for a week without refueling. And that's not a typo or a misstatement. <laughs> it can fly for a week without refueling. And then finally, we'll cover plenty of motivation and wisdom at the end of the episode. We begin this episode by discussing something that retired U.S. Army General Barry McCaffrey said. He was interviewed, and we see him on cable news a fair amount. And before I mention what he said, I just want to remind people that this uh, gentleman has, he earned three Purple Hearts for service during Vietnam, two Silver Stars, two Distinguished Service Crosses, which are the second highest uh, U.S. Army Award for Valor. He's been inducted to the United States Army Ranger Hall of Fame. He also graduated from the Military Academy, which is more commonly known as West Point in 64. He's attended Harvard University's National Security Program, and he's attended the U.S. Army War College, the Command and General Staff College, the Armor School Advanced Course, 
And I say all this just because, you know, the guy served in the 82nd Airborne Division. He served in the 1st Cavalry Division. This guy has seen and done a lot. And so I wanted to just say all of that before I shared what is his professional opinion, which I have the short video in the uh, episode notes, but uh, retired General McCaffrey says that you simply cannot win a war on the defensive and that the Ukrainians have put the Russian army in check, but not checkmate is the term he used. And while he's happy that we're sending Patriot missiles, he said one battery of Patriot missiles is not going to cut it that Ukraine has suffered immense casualties and is still in real danger. And he worries about a spring offensive from the Russians, which a few people have been talking about, including Ukraine's President Zelensky. I almost mentioned that in the last episode, but honestly, I partly didn't because uh, I know President Zelensky is often asking for a lot, as is his job to get everything that he can. And I thought that perhaps he might be overstating that threat, but it is starting to show up in a few other places. And uh, Russian President Putin does seem determined to try again in the spring. So I did want to mention that uh, retired General McCaffrey also mentioned that spring offensive. And what McCaffrey says the Ukrainians need, in addition to what they already have been provided, is two offensive type of weapons. The first are long-range surface-to-surface missiles, and then the second thing is M1 tanks. Everyone knows the M1 tanks. They're big, they're heavy, they're very sophisticated, and they are very good. They are top-line tanks, and they would, in my humble opinion, chew through the Russian army like it was nothing. But they are larger. They do use a different fuel source. It is There are some comp- logistical complications to them that other generals have mentioned. But if, you know, General McCaffrey believes M1s are the answer, I'm not really, as just a guy who served four years in the infantry and only made sergeant, I'm not going to disagree with a four-star retired general about what type of tanks are needed or not needed. So so he mentions the M1 tanks. He also mentions the what's called the uh, 140 Army Tactical Missile System, uh, and I've seen it pronounced different ways, but the short of it is you can fire these out of the multiple launch rocket system um, platforms that we have sent over there, but they are much longer range than the typical rockets. They're basically almost, it's literally a missile with a range of up to um, 190 miles. So 190 miles and a much larger warhead. So wanted to share what he said. He mentions one other thing. There have been some threats reported of late that uh, Russian President Putin is trying to twist the arm of Belarus to perhaps invade Ukraine from the north, which would provide some relief to the Ukrainian troops. And there's been some discussion among analysts as to whether Ukraine should pull its forces from the east in the Donbass region and from the south in the Kherson region to possibly prepare for this, because right now there's not a lot of troops in the north that could stop Belarus. But uh, General McCaffrey believes, as in his words, that Belarus will not bite on joining the war, and he agrees with what some other analysts have said, which is that Putin is essentially making a lot of moves and noise alongside his ally in Belarus, and 
to get the Ukrainians to shift forces that they cannot afford to shift. So McCaffrey does not believe an invasion will happen from the north, and I certainly hope it doesn't happen. Let's stay on the topic of Russia, and let's move to the news that Russia is now saying it's ready to resume natural gas supply to Europe. And uh, I got a link to the story in the source notes, but the Russian Deputy Prime Minister Alexander Novak said that, quote, the European market remains relevant as the gas shortage persists, and we have every opportunity to resume supplies. And then he names the type of pipeline that was stopped for political use, uh, reasons. Um, and he says that they are now willing to sell natural gas again to Europe. And I honestly find this almost humorous because uh, I think it shows a few things. I think it shows that Russia is desperate for cash flow. Their economy has really been crushed. And the interesting thing is is that Russia has used natural gas as a almost like hostage device, as a form of control. And they have tried to bully and manipulate and control Europe by turning on and turning off the gas flow. And what has happened since the invasion of Ukraine is that Europe has finally said we've had enough, and they're trying to find ways to import natural gas through uh, ships, uh, mostly, and a few other ways, including looking at potentially nuclear for energy uh, supply. And they've even restarted some coal um, production plants. So Europe is getting off of its dependency of Russian fuel, and now Russia is saying, hey, we'll turn this back on. Now, I searched just before, both last night and just before, this is Thursday morning, uh, to see if any European countries are going to bite on this, because the reality is is they do need fuel, they do need natural gas, it is going to be a challenging winter for Europe, uh, fuel prices, gas prices, oil prices, all of those things are up. However, everyone knows that if you buy or start repurchasing this gas, the um, the money is essentially going to be used to stabilize the Russian government and to buy and produce weapons that will be used to kill innocent Ukrainian civilians. So I'm not real sure that Europe will actually buy this natural gas. The fact that this story came out about three or four days ago and no news has um, come out about them wanting to buy it makes me think that Europe may stand together and not resume it. Uh, I'm really torn on this. Part of me says, don't send Russia a penny. It's going to be used to, you know, murder and kill Ukrainian civilians. But part of me says the smart short-term plan is, you know, offer them a really reduced price, like 40 cents on the dollar or 20 cents on the dollar, get you through your, or get you through the winter, and then Europe continue to move toward no longer needing a dependency on any Russian fuel. I see validity and, you know, pros and cons to both of those points of view. We'll see what happens, but so far at least, I think they're probably trying to decide what to do, and so far at least, Europe and NATO has not agreed to buy any more gas. So, Russia has all of this gas available, and they're realizing that maybe going around and terrorizing the world is probably not the best way 
to sell products to the world. I have no sympathy for them, as you all know. Now, let's move to another item. This comes from the Defense One publication. It's an online publication. And they quote that the Pentagon is saying that Russia could run out of reliable rockets and artillery shells as early as next year. Um, They quote a Pentagon source as saying, We assess that at the rate of fire that Russia has been using its artillery and rocket ammunition in terms of what we we would call fully serviceable artillery and rocket ammunition, they could probably do that until early 2023. So what does that mean? The reason that it's not super clear is that some of this ammunition that Russia is using is up to 40 years old. And so some of it has some uh, accuracy issues. It's not as accurate as it should be. The powder isn't as strong as it originally was. Um, Some of the weapons that the Russians are using are obviously the barrels are not as... They're partially stripped. They're not as good. And they're also having to bring out older ammunition that was kind of like used in the reserve for like a worst case situation. So... The Pentagon's reporting that Defense One has a story of that. If you want to read into that a bit, um, there's a little bit more that you can get into the weeds on that stuff, but that's potentially some good news for Ukraine, clearly. Let's stay in Ukraine a bit longer and move to another subject. Radio Free Europe had a great report about some of the fighting happening in the eastern part of the country in the Donbass region and particularly in two towns-slash-cities. One has been in the news a lot, and one not as much. The one that has been in the news is, of course, Bakhmut, B-A-K-H-M-U-T. That's the one that has really been in the news a lot, and the Russians have been just slinging so much uh, troops and material at that place. Uh, That's the city that President Zelensky visited before coming to the United States and and to Congress, where he uh, presented that flag that had been signed uh, by the troops there. But to the north of Bagmut is a city called Kremina, Kremina, if I'm saying it right, or Kremina. I've seen it both ways. Uh, I looked on, uh, if you look on like a Google Maps, it's about an hour and 30 minutes north of Bagmut, or 80 kilometers. Uh, of course, with in a war zone with wars, it's probably more like three or four hours. But it's about 80 kilometers, not a huge distance. But the Russians have been trying very hard to take Bogmut and Kremina, and they have expended a lot of resources on this. And I wanted to quote a couple parts from this article from, again, Radio Free Europe. I'll have the source notes in the substack. Uh, post if you want to get into the weeds on it. It's a free article. And they interview some soldiers who, Ukrainian soldiers from an uh, airborne brigade. And they said that there's only one way to describe the waves of Russian infantry who are relentlessly pressing the Ukrainian lines, and that word is meat. Uh, one soldier that was interviewed said first they throw in mobilized soldiers for certain death, like meat. Then, if they break through, the more experienced fighters move in. So apparently they're slinging in lots of these new, newly drafted uh, soldiers and troops who have very little training. And then, if they manage a breakthrough, they, they send the more experienced troops behind them, obviously, as I just said. So, um, 
A couple of interesting things from this is that the Ukrainian soldiers believe they're going to hold both of those cities. And apparently, if the Russians lose this uh, town of Kremina, then their entire line of defense will fall. And Ukraine is increasingly confident that this might happen. So they uh, talk with several soldiers on the Ukrainian front. And again, Ukraine believes it's going to hold these lines. And they also think there's a potential breakthrough about to happen. And then if you look on a map, I was messing around with it earlier and zooming around. You can see how these two cities are like the backbone of the Russian defense. If Ukraine breaks through, there's a lot of roads that they're going to be able to drive through, just like they did with the offensive in Kharkiv a few months ago. So let's hope that that happens. Um, and there's some great little nuggets in that story if you want to read it. It talks about how a lot of this is like World War One trench warfare. We've talked about that in earlier episodes. Uh, they talk about how the Ukrainians are fighting with their brains and the Russians are using numbers. And the Russians are using a lot of artillery, but it's not as accurate, and their soldiers aren't as well-trained, their communications aren't as good, and so they're taking just unbelievably high casualties. And at least according to those interviewed, it looks like that there could be a breakthrough there, so let's certainly hope that happens. Just a quick reminder, if you love what you're listening to, please sign up for email notifications. It's free unless you choose to subscribe and support what I'm doing. But you can sign up for free at my website, stanrmitchell.substack.com. Again, that's stanrmitchell.substack.com. From there, you can subscribe to the show by email, and that'll make sure you never miss any future episodes. Again, that's free. I will also say that people are, are always asking me on social media how to best support my dreams including getting out future books in some series that they love sooner than what I'm currently doing. Believe me, the best way to support me or this show is by signing up for a paid subscription at my Substack page. Again, that's stanrmitchell.substack.com. Or you can sign up to support at Patreon. Again, that's Patreon. Or you can also find me on Venmo at author Stan R. Mitchell. Again, that's author Stan R. Mitchell. And I have links to both of those in the source notes or on my Substack page, which again is stanormitchell.substack.com. Either of those options, if you're wanting to pay, are $5 per month, and you can cancel those at any time. The paid subscriptions provide a recurring monthly revenue, and that $5 a month is the fastest way that I'll be able to return to becoming a full-time author again, which means I'll have more time to write fiction, it'll have... I'll have more time to cover the news, even more in-depth, and I'll be able to work even harder to try to unite the country and motivate others. And these are all things that I feel drawn to do, like strongly drawn to do. So, of course, you can also tell people about the podcast, and there's even the option to give a gift subscription to a friend. You guys can also clearly tell people about my books, which many of you are already doing, and I appreciate each and every one of you doing that. But I do want to be very clear here, you don't have to do any of these things. I truly feel called to do this, and I've already had tremendous support from people who've signed up to chip in a few bucks each month. You guys know who you are. I really do appreciate you. So trust me, you can sign up, come and go as you like. If you want to subscribe for a couple of three months, that's great. You can do that. As long as I'm making enough to cover the time I put into doing this show, then I'm not going anywhere. 
I love highlighting the sacrifices of our military. I love trying to unify the country. I love throwing cold water on these over-the-top exaggerations by extremist politicians and broadcasters. And honestly, I love knowing that I'm helping motivate and reach out to people who just need a little extra encouragement each week. So thanks so much for your support. And with all of that out of the way, let's get back to the show. Let's move now to the news that the U.S. might train Ukrainian troops in America for the first time. Now, we've been training some Ukrainian troops in Europe for months now, but uh, Politico reported that the U.S. is considering training Ukrainian troops on the Patriot missile system in the United States. We talked about a couple weeks ago how long it might take Uh, The U.S. had said it might take up to six months to get someone trained on these. But they're now, of course, to the point where we've agreed to send Patriot missiles, but someone has to be trained, and now we're getting down to the brass tacks of how you do it. And apparently in the U.S. at Fort Seal, Oklahoma, where a lot of artillery training happens, is a really wide-open base. I know even when I was in the Marine Corps, the Marine Corps sent its Marine artillery gunners to Fort Seal, which is an Army base, obviously, to do the artillery training there, just because there's a lot of space and it's just a better place to do it. Having said that, apparently, according to Politico, and I only learned this just a bit ago, there are apparently very complex simulators already located in Fort Seal on the the, uh, Patriot battery system, so... It would be much uh, more doable to do it there versus having to send some of these simulators and other stuff to Europe, which would cause all kinds of logistical issues. So there is a chance that the U.S. for the first time will train Ukrainian troops in America. I obviously think that's great news, and it's another step forward of our continued and hopefully increasing support for this country that is honestly doing the world a favor as it tries to defend itself from a out-of-control dictator. Let's stick to Ukraine for one more news item, and that is, I came across some interesting video on social media. And, as you know, Russia has increasingly been using Iranian drones, um, what are called loitering munitions, and these things can fly in the air. They're pretty slow, they fly with propeller and they loiter over the uh, battle space, find a target, and then they come down, hit the target from the top. And the Ukrainians have not been able to keep to shoot enough of these down. Now, the kamikaze drones are hard to detect on radar. They fly pretty slow, but they are very effective. And they've been used to obviously attack infrastructure, but there are also versions of them that have unfortunately been doing pretty well against Ukrainian uh, tanks and armored personnel carriers and artillery pieces. And unfortunately, if you look on Twitter very hard or other social media for videos of the war, you can find plenty of Russian video of these things attacking Ukrainian positions, vehicles, etc. And it's painful to watch. I share all that just to set up something that was pretty remarkable. And that is, there is social media video of a tank that's parked in some trees. And when any vehicle in any war, or in any military, excuse me, stops somewhere, you always deploy nets. 
camouflage nets because you don't want to be seen. If you can be seen, you can be destroyed. So this tank had parked in some trees and immediately deployed nets. Interestingly, two Russian kamikaze drones tried to attack this tank. And there's video of the aftermath. But the trees and the camouflage net protected the tank from either of them. Neither, in fact, even exploded. They got caught up in the trees and the nets. And so a lot of people are now speculating that perhaps some type of net system might be a pretty good defense. So this was something that was mostly discovered in by accident, as many things are in war. Um, you see a new weapon system. You're not sure how to counter it at first. But there's been talk in the past about how Russian gunners or Russian tankers were using what a lot of people jokingly called cope cages, as in it will help them cope with the threat of missiles. And so they would put these aluminum and metal cages around their tanks, hoping that it would stop these very deadly uh, Ukrainian missiles. But the cope cages did not work. But the difference is, is that these missiles are flying at unbelievable speeds. And so a cope cage will not work. A net would most certainly not work. Neither will trees in most instances, instances or tree branches, I should say. However, no one's really thought about the fact that loitering munitions, these kamikaze drones, they fly very slow. Very, very slow. Propeller, like I said, slow. And so, just out of pure coincidence, there has perhaps been a new way to counter these, at least for some of the tanks and artillery pieces and all. And so I certainly hope that they're learning from this, parking in trees more and putting up one, two, or three nets, whatever it takes, because uh, although it is a pain to put those nets up, I've done it. But they're very, um, they're almost like, they're not quite wire, I guess that's an exaggeration, but they're very stout, very hard to put up. But it makes total sense that they're strong enough to stop a slow-moving, uh, propeller-driven drone. So let's hope that, as some people joked, I hope America and NATO sends thousands of nets to the Ukrainians so that their frontline troops would be protected from these. So that was a bit of a light-hearted topic, and I know we discuss deep and heavy stuff every week, and sometimes you have to put in some light-hearted topics in there that might actually end up being something big. I mean, it is big if this is a potential counter to um, these drones. And I'm sure in a very short time, they will figure out a way to, instead of having nets that are difficult to put up, if if it's proven that these things can routinely stop these Shahid drones from Iran and the Kamikaze drones, then there will probably very quickly be some type of almost instant pop-up type device that would put up these nets around vehicles or maybe even some type of device that can be deployed around them that stays up, um, some type of like exterior netting or something. But let's move from that latter topic to what I discussed in the beginning, which is that South Korea has announced its new, what it calls Indo-Pacific strategy. And I wanted to talk about that for just a moment. Bloomberg had a write-up about it and... The strategy is 43 pages, and it's titled The Strategy for a Free, Peaceful, and Prosperous Indo-Pacific Region. One interesting thing is that 
there is only a single paragraph about relations with China. And, interestingly, Beijing or China is called a key partner. And the report says that Seoul, quote, will nurture a sounder and more mature relationship as we pursue shared interest based on mutual respect and reciprocity guided by international norms and rules. So that was part of what the Bloomberg article quoted, and I wanted to share maybe one other little short little part about it, that uh, South Korea reaffirms, quote, the importance of peace and stability in the Taiwan Strait for the peace and stability of the Korean Peninsula and for the security and prosperity of the Indo-Pacific. So there's South Korea kind of putting out in a very tame manner, you might say, just a warning to China that anything that destabilizes the region is not good for everyone in the region. The strategy does also talk about that South Korea plans to uh, quote, gradually expand, end quote, uh, cooperation with what's called the Quad Group of Australia, Australia, India, Japan, and the U.S., which is, of course, these are the four countries that are trying to provide some type of a wall or boundary to China's increasing assertiveness and almost bullying in the area. Now, the State Department put out a response to this strategy by South Korea, and they said that the U.S. welcomes the Republic of Korea's new Indo-Pacific strategy, which will expand cooperation across the Indo-Pacific, strengthen our shared ability to advance international security, and promote nuclear non-proliferation, contributing to a free and open Indo-Pacific. So there you go. Small little something from South Korea. Not huge news, certainly, but another country and another reminder that there are a lot of almost allied countries in the Pacific that are increasingly kind of coming together to hopefully, and I stress the word, hopefully convince China not to do anything crazy involving Taiwan. So... Let's keep hoping that all of these countries maneuvering and positioning as they are before something does happen, you know, helps convince China's president, uh, Xi, not to do anything rash. While we are on the subject of China, let's talk about one other news story I wanted to share. This comes from the Washington Post and... The news is that Taiwan is going to extend its mandatory military service. So Taiwan, which is, of course, the island to the south of China, which, of course, China has been threatening to attack, invade, etc. And we've talked about this extensively. So Taiwan currently allows for a mandatory military service of four months. With this new plan mandatory military service will last a year. Now, in the past, they've been increasingly moving away from mandatory military service because they're trying to create an all-volunteer-based professional force. Uh, And in 2013, in fact, they cut it down to four months. But 
as I said, because of the rising tension, they are now going to extend that from four months to one year. And their president said China's expansion and military aggression continues to impact the international order, threatens regional peace and stability, and affects cross-strait relations. And um, she said the existing system does not meet combat readiness requirements. One interesting additional thing about this, though, is that the change for longer service to a year doesn't even take effect until 2024. It will affect men who are born after 2005, and they have to serve for a year sometime after turning 19 and before turning 37. So there's not like a name, you know, one of the nuggets I dug out of this, I guess, is there's not like some kind of immediate threat that they see, or they would obviously institute this um, much faster. And that follows much of what we've said in previous episodes, where most intelligence folks, most of the folks in the Pentagon, etc., they think an actual invasion from China would not happen before the date of 2027 is one of the time frames that constantly comes up. So it appears that Taiwan is also on that same um, timeline, so to speak. Although on um, Sunday, China did um, fly 71 warplanes close to Taiwan airspace. Uh, that's a record. And it was uh, 47 fighter jets, it was drones, and they crossed an unofficial boundary that runs down the center of the Taiwan Strait. So so China is definitely still ramping up its aggressiveness. And, you know, I've said many times, I keep hoping that China sees that it would be more prosperous and good for its people and country if it chooses a path that doesn't lead toward conflict. But so far, at least, most indications are they are moving toward that direction as they expand their military and increasingly try to sharpen the edges of their various branches from their navy, which they've been expanding and doing further and more complicated drills with, to to obviously the uh, aircraft that continue to enter the airspace We'll say one odd thing about all these aircraft constantly entering is I know part of it is to, you know, subdue Taiwan to some degree, wear them down, make them stop deploying fighters to defend against it. But on the flip side, every time they do this, they're kind of showing their hand and they're kind of showing how at least, you know, one potential attack could come. So. I'm not sure how wise it is to constantly show the route that you would fly in. I guess they could come in a different way. And I know that in a real conflict, the island would be almost covered with ballistic missiles, which would be hard to intercept, and then fighters would come later. But I am sure that Taiwan is watching these maneuvers, as is the U.S. and all the other allied countries in the, na in the area, and they're probably learning a few things every single time. Okay, we've covered a lot of news, and I hope you've learned as much as I did putting it all together. Let's talk a bit about some tech news, and definitely a lot in the topic, a lot in the air, so to speak. Uh, the Navy is eyeing a drone that can fly for a week without refueling. Uh, the far following article comes from Task and Purpose, which is, of course, a defense-oriented journal. Uh, I'll have the link in the uh, source notes. 
But they were eyeing a drone that could fly well, and it's already f set a record by flying eight days, 50 minutes, and 47 seconds. And it flew during that time 12,200 miles of continuous flight. So the Navy heard about this drone and this company. It flies eight times longer than the current um, Reaper drones fly, which they themselves are very impressive. They can fly for up to 30 hours without refueling. And so the Navy's possibly going to order these drones from a company called Platform Aerospace. Uh, the uh, aircraft's called the Vanilla Unmanned. Uh, it can carry up to about, I believe it was 100, yeah, about 150-pound payload. But it would mostly be for surveillance because uh, Hellfire missiles, which Reapers carry, those each weigh about 100 pounds apiece. So the drone would only carry cameras and sensors, etc. But they are looking at it for its possibilities even in the Pacific because there are large areas of ocean and space that have to be carry, uh, covered. And the best thing is that, so a Reaper, which of course carries Hellfire missiles, those cost $72 million, but this drone is much cheaper. And right now it's slated to come in at about $2 million per system. So that's huge. And we've seen in Ukraine that increasingly cheaper and cheaper drones are probably the way of the future. But I did want to share that because that is just beyond impressive that something could fly for eight days without needing any fuel. And so Navy obviously thinks it's impressive as well, and they are going to put a contract in place to buy them. So again, if you want to get in the weeds on that article, check that out. It is, again, on task and purpose, and I'll have the link in the source notes on our Substack page. Okay, guys, so we will move to the motivation and wisdom part. I wanted to say just real quick, just a short little intro, which I'll probably repeat every week because sometimes it helps to get things to sink in by hearing them repeated. And I know some people think that motivational quotes are crap, they don't work, and I frankly completely disagree, and one of the things I've always wanted to be was an encourager. And so I want to encourage you as much as I can, obviously. But for those who say that motivational quotes don't work, you know, I went to a rough school, and going to that school, not everyone graduated, not everyone made it out, and certainly not all of them, everyone made it through college or, or to where they probably wanted to get in life, because it's hard to be around people that don't believe that suck the energy out of you or that are just beaten down by life or poverty or just difficult circumstances, um, whether it's a single parent, etc. But for me, at least, having books that I read, having dreams, having heroes that I looked up to, whether it was sports figures or past presidents or past military leaders, all of those things helped me. And I know that you guys know this, that if you go to a sales conference or something for like a couple of days or just some type of leadership event or just some type of really on fire type event and you're around positive people, you are just like, show me the wall, I'll run through it. You're just fired up. But then if you go home and there's some family members or friends who don't believe in you and they're like, oh, that won't work or you can't do that, it just immediately sucks the life out of you. So I know that, you know, people say motivation doesn't last, but I think that motivation is something that absolutely can help you get to where you want to go. And, you know, I believe all of us can reach our dreams. 
And I definitely want to do my part to help you get there. So that's why I put these in every week. It's my hope that they really help you. You know, people say motivation doesn't last. Well, neither does bathing, and that's why we recommend it daily. And that's what the great Zig Ziglar said. So that's why I try to put these in every week. So I really hope you get something uh, from them. And with that, let's just get started. As I say every week, you can find the sources for these quotes I'm going to be reading from my Substack page for this episode, which you'll have the link to. So you're welcome to look there. And if you're on social media, these are some great folks to follow. And with that out of the way, let's just begin. A positive mind finds opportunity in everything. A negative mind finds fault in everything. That's a great one. I'll read it one more time. A positive mind finds opportunity in everything. A negative mind finds fault in everything. That's beautiful. Let's keep our minds positive. Flush out all those negative things, right? Here's the next one. If your dreams don't scare you, they aren't big enough. Love that one. I've talked about before how even doing the podcast with some of the uh, speech issues I had as a kid makes me nervous. So if your dreams don't scare you, they aren't big enough. Here's the next one. Comparison will kill you. Be you. Comparison will kill you. Be you. Next one. Some people are like clouds. When they disappear, it's a brighter day. That one's pretty funny. Next one. Be teachable. You're not always right. Love that one. Here's the next one. You have two big choices. Do it now or regret it later. I think that one hits home for all of us. Next one. Stop running to those who ignore you and start running to those who adore you. That's a really good one. Here's the next one. The journey to building wealth is more about self-improvement than learning how to make money. I really like that one. And I think uh, it hit me that even if you're not building some kind of, you know, I don't want to say the word empire, but some kind of business or building some kind of, you know, deal where you had to have lots of people under you or other accessories to help you attain your dream, even if you're just working a regular job, if you work on self-improvement and the way you talk, with your attitude, your discipline, your habits, you're going to get promoted. You're going to earn more money. So you don't have to have big dreams. Sometimes you just got to keep improving yourself. Here's the next one. No matter what, ma- excuse me, <laughs> no matter what knocks you down in life, get back up and keep going. Never give up. Great blessings are a result of great perseverance. That is a great one. Great blessings are a result of great perseverance. This was a quote from Abraham Lincoln. The best way to predict your future is to create it. Again, the best way to predict your future is to create it. Here's another good one. Goals work when you work. Next one. I'd rather be hated for who I am than loved for who I am not. Another good one. Don't limit your challenges. Challenge your limits. I love that one. I love those that repeat in like a different way. Don't limit your challenges. Challenge your limits. Next one. You'll never feel 100% ready. Just do it. Another one. 
Success is the sum of small efforts, repeated day in and day out. It's another great one. You may not be there yet, but you're closer than you were yesterday. Another good one. And I thought I'd go back up to one I read earlier and mention just one other thing, because it just hit me that I want to hit it to say it, and so you're going to hear it. I wanted to say one other thing about the one that said, don't limit your challenges, challenge your limits. And that is, and I've told friends this before, and I believe this is biblical, that if you're able to plow an acre and you're only plowing half an acre, this is my personal opinion, but again, I think it's biblically biblically based. I think you're cheating yourself. I think you're cheating your family. I think you're cheating your community. I think you're cheating your church if you attend one. And so I always urge people to work as hard as they can, to give all they can. And I think if you're not doing that, you're you're affecting a lot more than just yourself and your family and your community. There are people that are watching you who you don't even realize are watching you. And we just all affect way more people than we possibly think we can. So I just urge you to give everything you can in whatever your job you're at. You might be stuck there. There might be a manager there that you think can't stand you, that you can't stand. They could be gone next week. They could be gone next year. You could be promoted over them. So just hang in there and give everything you've got. And a lot of times, things just work out. I always like to end with this one. Be the reason someone smiles. Be the reason someone feels loved and believes in the goodness of people. I always think that's a great one to end with. And with that, thanks for joining us this week on The View from the Front. For those who want to know a little bit more about me, here's the short version. I'm from Knoxville, Tennessee, and I left home to join the Marine Corps at the age of 17. I was also crazy enough to demand that the Marine Corps put me down for guaranteed infantry. I served four years in the infantry, saw enough danger to decide I no longer had anything else to prove, and I exited military service in 1999. I earned a degree from the University of Tennessee in journalism and spent 10-plus years in the news business. I worked initially as a reporter, but then went on to start a weekly newspaper. What can I say? Anyone crazy enough to start a weekly newspaper at the age of 27 is probably a dreamer and an optimist, and I confess that I'm both. I owned that weekly newspaper for nine years, from 2004 to 2013, but once it was clear that owning a newspaper wasn't the best path to financial security, I went on to become an author. To date, I've written 11 books, and while I still have my sights set on the tallest peaks in the writing world, I'm now here as well, a once-a-week podcaster who's still in love with both this country and the news. And I see this podcast as a small way to continue serving our country, doing my best to inform and unite us in a time that we're as divided as we've probably been in a hundred years. Well, I've talked enough about me. I really hope you'll consider at least signing up to be a free subscriber. And if you can, consider at some point becoming a paid subscriber. Again, you can do both of these things at my substack, stanrmitchell.substack.com. Again, that's stanrmitchell.substack.com. .substack.com. As a reminder, please be kind and try your best to love your fellow Americans. Let's all work together to unite this country. And also, please try to be a better person each and every day. Try to be kinder on social media and how you interact with others with whom you disagree. And if you've got a dream kicking around in the back of your mind, go after it. If you have that friend or family member that you know you should reach out to who you haven't talked to in a few months, reach out to them. And finally, if you're one of those awesome military folks listening out there, if you need help, please reach out to someone, call, 
friend or a family member. Do it for us all. We've lost too many of the greatest folks that this country has produced to suicide. So I'm asking you to be brave once more and show some vulnerability. Take a deep breath. Breathe. Call a friend or family member, one of your fellow veterans, someone who can help. There's obviously hotline numbers as well that you can call. With that, I appreciate each and every one of you, every tweet, every share, every email that I get. I can't tell you how much those mean to me. Also, if you haven't already put a rating on some of the um, social media places that you listen to us, whether it's Apple Podcasts or some of the others, if you could drop a rating, that'd be great. We're trying to get those up because I've heard if you get them up to 30 or 40, then the algorithms take over. So that'd be a great way to help out. And then finally, let me mention my books because, honestly, the airspace is free. And also, if you're the kind of person who listens to this podcast, they are probably books that would interest you. So I will briefly describe them real quickly. The first series is about a CIA series involving a Marine Scout sniper named Nick Woods. There's four books in that series. I got a fifth one releasing soon. I'm almost done with that, actually. Uh, It's my best-selling series, and not only is it fast-paced and crammed with action, but Folks say that the uh, main character, Nick Woods, is one of the most real characters they've ever read. He's not some Jason Bourne-like Superman. He's just a hard, tough man who was raised in the old ways. The first book in that series is called Sold Out, and that's obviously because the main character, Nick Woods, gets sold out. I've also got a detective series about a prior Force Recon Marine who becomes a detective. He moves from a big city, which was Memphis, to a small town, and he learns there's a lot more going on there than you'd think. It's got some organized crime in it, loads of action, a couple of cops die before the end of book one, and if you love that as much as I think you will, there's also a book two. Book one is called Takedown, book two is called Gravel Road, and it may have one of the longest, most grueling hand-to-hand fight scenes you've ever read. I get so much feedback from readers who just say that they are on pins and needles at the end of book two on what is happening and what... um, the prior force recon marine goes through his name is danny akov by the way and then i've also got book one of a private investigator series done it's about an army ranger who's a girl's only hope after she gets abducted and the cops have stopped looking Uh, there's plenty of action in it as well and it doesn't hurt that the aunt of the girl um, is hot and she takes part in the chase so uh, that book is called hell in the mountains and then i've got a couple of realistic war novels one's about world war ii it's called soldier on And I talk about, or I write about the end of World War II, an imaginary situation where the last elements of part of the German army is just trying to survive. They know the war is lost, but they're trapped from, on one side, you know, the advancing American troops, and on the other, uh, Nazi SS units. So really, the book is, it's it's pretty deep, and so it, it digs into the realities of military leadership, and as these warriors are pushed and pulled through just unbelievable physical torment and mental anguish and will they survive with their honor and dignity and i think you know i've been told this that soldier on just truly defines what it means to be a soldier to never give up and then i've also got a realistic war novel about afghanistan it's called hill 406 it's about a couple of marines who couldn't be more different and they get thrown into an unbelievable combat situation and it's a situation in which they decide to disobey orders and risk everything in order to save some marines had lots of great feedback about how gritty and realistic that one is from veterans who've served there which is about the highest honor i could possibly get um and then finally i've got one other book i wanted to mention just real quickly and then the final book i mentioned is 
actually it's a part biography, part self-help, all inspiration type book uh, about Barack Obama, but includes absolutely no politics, no left-right issues. It's literally just a non-political look at Obama's rise. And I try to answer questions that many wonder about American presidents. What sets them apart? What qualities allowed them to reach their goals where others failed? How can you cultivate those qualities in yourself? And besides that, I also share some things about him that you may not know, such as, throw out a couple. Did you know that before he ran for the U.S. Senate, he was crushed by a four-term incumbent who beat him by a two-to-one margin? Most people aren't aware of that. He also coached his uh, Sasha's fourth-grade recreational basketball team called the Vipers while president. That was not super well-known. And then also, the craziest thing, as he's known for being a speaker, did you know that when he started, he actually wasn't even a good speaker? He admits that himself. So I'll talk about several things I've found out about him as I researched him some, and I think it's a great book that'll help inform you and motivate you, kind of go into how he found his call and how he mastered speaking, how he overcome just so many obstacles, including that huge like two-to-one election defeat that I mentioned above. And it's the first in what I think will be a number of presidential books, assuming they sell well enough. And so it's the first one will be on him, and the next one will be on a Republican. I've kind of started that one, but I put it on hold until I try to see what the interest level is on some type of um, series of books such as this. Some folks don't like the political angles, but again, if you can get past the cover and the name, it's not a political angle. It's inspiration it's self-help type stuff and so you know i think you can learn a lot from presidents and i could go for on for probably hours honestly about how it's crazy some of the people who end up becoming president and the things they do to get there but again i won't get into it too much but that book is called number 44 the traits and characteristics that carried barack obama to the top the, how he managed to, with his name, with the background, the mixed background, the lack of money, and the ability to beat out the Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton machine and make it to where he was, is still just astonishing. I know he isn't liked by everybody, but it's an incredible book, in my humble opinion. So that's called Number 44. You can check that out as well. And I don't think I said this earlier, but you can find all of my books on Amazon. So just go to Amazon and just search for the name Stan R. Mitchell, and you should see a whole list of them. You'll see them all listed, and that's the best place to get them. And that's also why I have to put the R in my name. You'll see there's more than one Stan Mitchell, so way back in the day, I had to do what I never wanted to do, which is put a middle initial in my name, which to me just seems kind of, I don't know, pretentious. But yes, go to Amazon.com, search Stan R. Mitchell, and you will see a list of them. Hey guys, thanks so much. I figure by this point, not a lot of people listen anyway, but for those who are, I will catch you guys next Thursday. Thanks so much, and with that, I am out.